and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. And I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, so whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Welcome to Sunnydale. I love it. I think it's back in season two, uh, one of our early recordings there, where one of our listeners from TikTok suggested Sunnydale should have been the name for our hot steaks section. So to that person, I think her name was Rebecca. If you're still listening <laughs> two years later, shout out to you. This is our Sunnydale episode. We have a lot of vintage hot steaks, don't we, Kara? We do. But first, Steph, welcome back. Welcome back to you as well, my friend. Nothing much has happened, obviously, <laughs> over the break. <laughs> Clearly a normal, relaxing time for me. Right. So, yes, this is our first recording since Stephanie gave birth. Mm-hmm. Um, just really quickly, like, what's it like being a mom? It's wonderful. It's overwhelming. It's amazing. It's hard. <laughs> it's emotional. It's a lot of things. It's it's honestly wonderful, though. I feel like, for me personally, motherhood has leveled me up. Like, I feel more myself. I feel powerful. I, I already was a feminist and had respect, nothing but utmost respect for women. But now it's, like, quadrupled how much I respect women and mothers and just what we go through, right? What, what we do to continue the human race. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. And I can hear her crying right now, but you know what? Seb's got it <laughs> for the next hour. Um, but yeah, this is our first time recording since I have a newborn. And this is like a test run just to see how it's going to go because uh, we haven't started recapping season six yet, obviously. But uh, my time schedule is a little bit different. And... Uh, Kara has so graciously agreed to be flexible <laughs> with what's going on. So I have also promised not to poop or throw up in front of staff while we record. Yes, that's very triggering for me. So thank you. <laughs> I used to do it all the time. Yeah, I know. And I was like, can you just stop? I have enough of that at home in my personal no life. No promises about the crying, though. I mean, this is Buffy. It's Buffy after all. And if we weren't already crying a lot on our own, now it's just going to it's gonna increase as we continue on with season six and seven i think what buffy and your kid both understand right is that the world is just a harsh mean place and we should just cry about it yes absolutely um actually what i want to do is i want to thank everybody on social and through discord and everything who sent me well wishes during this time and congratulations and all those good good thoughts and vibes um i appreciate it thank you very much yes it has been such a nice break it feel it's felt weird not recording you with you every week, Steph. Like this has been yeah. such a part of my routine. Um, but you know, it's a well-deserved break for sure. And yeah, we will we'll have a couple more bonus episodes we're going to record for a bit, and then we will be back with season six sometime around end of July. Woohoo! Woohoo! That is our plan. Um, but 
in the meantime, we have received your emails and your messages and your comments, and they have comprised of what we have here today, these vintage hot steaks that we call them. Everyone has so many thoughts. Everyone has such great <laughs> steaks, and they wanted to share it with us. Uh, Kara did the hard work of breaking them down into each season, <laughs> and we're just going to go through them. And uh, if they prompt discussion between us, that's great. But we just really want to uh, share what you're thinking when it comes to our discussions and when it comes to the show. So let's do this. Let's start off with season one. Yeah. Uh, Sophia wrote in to tell us about the opening credits uh, of season one. Remember, remember Kara, it used to be a very nasally man <laughs> pretty yeah buffy <laughs> like that um and uh sophia i believe lives in france or she's french so she maybe needs to go back i'm not sure but she um says that in the intro of season one where they tell the slayer mythology before each episode fun fact did you know that the french version of the show used the official french voice actor of giles to tell it it makes sense to use the voice his voice, since he is the Watcher. And I completely agree with you, Sophia. Just like in Lord of the Rings, when they have Galadriel do the voiceover at the beginning, it just makes sense to have, you know, an elder, a smart person, <laughs> a wise elder to, to give these credit titles. Uh, Sophia adds that the titles of each episode also have other meanings in French. So, for example, the body here is, and here's me butchering the French language again, Orphelines, uh, which means orphans. Surprise is Innocence, part one. Welcome to the Hellmouth is Bienvenue as Sunnydale. <laughs> uh, the Gift is the Apocalypse. Faith, Hope, and Trick is the New Little Sister. Interesting. Oh, that one. <laughs> that one didn't Ooh. age well. Nope. <laughs> um, the Wish is Best Wishes from Cordelia, which I actually love so much more. That's such a great title. Amends is Winter's Sun, which sounds a lot like a Twilight book. <laughs> Bad Girls is El Illuminati. Consequences is Above the Law. Enemies is Betrayal. Graduation Day is The Ceremony. The Dark Age is The Dark Side. And then um, also the show in France, I'm guessing, is called Buffy contre les vampires. Vampire. Please, please do not. For, forgive my French, please. Uh, but Buffy con, contre les vampires, which means Buffy against the vampires. And Slayer there is la tous, which means the killer. Well done. Very cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is a really interesting thing to share, Sophia. So as an avid reader, of course... I think a lot about translation when it comes to books and how it's so challenging to translate books into different languages because especially when it comes to fiction, it's not just the meaning that you have to translate, but you're also trying to retain the um, writer's voice, their style, you know, how they use language. It can be very challenging. But I've never really thought about it for TV. Like, obviously, you got, like, the subtitles or the dubbing, whatever you choose to do to translate it. But even just simple things like episode titles, right? It's like, of course, you're going to have to think about, well, how do I communicate the meaning of this episode title, even when the words themselves might have to change? So mm -hmm. thank you for reminding us of the complexity when it comes to creativity and its international accessibility. <laughs> okay, now we're moving on to season two. We got a few hot stakes here. First one is from Hazel. Hazel says, I think Kara said that Ted was a more interesting episode than it's given credit for. 
and I think I'm inclined to agree. Thanks, Hazel. <laughs> I find the way it positions Buffy's power as conditional really interesting. As strong as she is, a cis white man working within an acceptable societal framework can take that away from her so easily. She only manages to reclaim her power when, she's, when he's uncovered as a subversion of this idea. He's performing. Uh, even when she stands up for herself physically, she can't win till the idea of this particular masculinity is damaged. Mm. So I think that's interesting because Buffy as a show, right, as a, a show that tries to be feminist, is always about looking at different versions of masculinity. And we, you and I, Steph, we've had a lot of conversations on this show about, like, Riley and Xander and Spike and how they all kind of embody this very toxic masculinity. Um, and then you have characters like Angel where, I mean, Angel does have some toxic elements to him, right? Like, when he's being a little bit too overbearing with his relationship with Buffy, but by and large, right, like Angel and Giles tend to be these like portrayals of a more compassionate, more respectful masculinity. And so, yeah, I think, you know, Ted might be in some ways like a precursor to a character. And, a, you know, I guess we could have spoilers in this bonus episode. Uh, Ted might be a precursor to Warren. Mm, like the first step. Yeah. Do we, th I don't know. Do we think there's anything like symbolically relevant to the fact that Ted was a robot, and then Warren builds robots. Joss Whedon has a weird obsession with robots, you know? Like, it just thinks they're Joss really Joss Whedon cool has a lot of weird obsessions. Yeah, and, like, let's not forget Adam, right? Like, there's a robot, too. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot, yeah. Of, a lot of misogynistic robots on this show. Yes. Too many, dare I say? <laughs> I, I feel like more than zero is probably too many <laughs> yes <laughs> thanks hazel yeah thanks hazel that was it that was really interesting uh our next one is from jesse who let us know that she has recent that she had recently found the podcast and was on season two what's my line when she sent this in so she's saying that willow asks buffy what career she'd have as she could and buffy snaps at her jesse says that Kara talks about how there's no golden years or retirement and Buffy's going to be fighting her whole life. And Jesse suffers from BPD, a mental disorder that isn't going to go away. And Carr's words really spoke to me. It's something I thought about when I was watching the series, how Buffy deals with the end of the world so often that life just, just can't play out as simply as it can for non-slayers. The only way out of our life is death. Buffy fights literal demons. I fight figurative ones. Sometimes it feels like Buffy and I have the same fate. I think the way that uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar plays Buffy as she confronts those realizations is spot on. I love the way that she snaps at Willow in this episode. I think it's a great response that fits the situation. And I know that Buffy's character development fits this analysis as well. By the end of the show, she is tired and her cute, quirky personality is significantly dulled. It's bleak but it is an excellent metaphor for people who suffer with chronic health conditions. I found a lot of comfort in the show because of this. Aw. Wow. Thank you yeah. for sharing, Jesse. Yeah, Jesse, that's a really great comparison. Yeah, I, I don't have a ton of experience with those kinds of mental health issues. So, you know, I don't want to comment out of my lane. All I can say is I think that this is another one of those areas in which Buffy was maybe a little bit ahead of its time in the sense that, you know, it was really commenting on how this continual, repetitive, never-ending fight against evil was wearing her down and giving her, you know, I don't even want to say PTSD because the trauma is still occurring, right? Mm -hmm. It's just she's she's 
regularly be re-traumatized. And I don't want to say Buffy's the only show in the 90s and early 2000s that was doing that, but it, is, it stands out to me as kind of one of the most significant shows, especially for a younger audience that was dealing with those issues. Um, and I think that's a little bit more common these days because the the language and the conversation around mental health has opened up. And so now you see a lot more TV shows that are willing to engage with these realities, either in a science fiction fantasy setting or, you know, shows about people who come back from war or, or who've endured uh, extremely traumatic events. Yeah. It's just another example of how this show opened up the door for younger people to explore that and to see themselves, whether metaphorically or not, through what the characters are going through. Because again, like, yeah, Buffy's not literally suffering um, from uh, BPD or what Jesse is going through, but Jesse saw herself in that. And that's pretty good for a 90s show. Just just one more thought that has occurred to me as we discuss this would be, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this through the lens of disability and how even now shows are still really bad at non-ableist portrayals of disability. And, and that is especially true, I think, for invisible disabilities and things like mental illness. And I think part of that is because a lot of mental illness, you know, Jesse mentions being tired, right? Buffy is tired. A, a lot of mental illness can manifest or, or even just like chronic physical illnesses can manifest as, you know, I'm tired, I'm depressed, I don't want to get out of bed, you know, I'm having trouble just taking care of the baseline tasks that we usually set ourselves as adult human beings. Um, and often that kind of stuff gets ignored in storytelling, in TV and movies, because we just kind of have to assume that our characters are doing all of the regular things. They're, you know, bathing and showering and washing their hair and doing the dishes because we have a story to tell. And there's there's nothing particularly interesting for a viewer watching a character lie in bed for 40 minutes because they don't feel like they could get up that day. And I'm, I'm not trying to say that you can't have a good portrayal of mental illness on screen. I'm, I'm trying to say that, like, I think that, you know, TV writers and producers need to challenge themselves to find better ways of including mentally ill and chronically ill characters in their storytelling in a way that is true to what people with these experiences are going through. You know, there are ways to do it creatively. There are ways to do it interestingly. Funnily enough, I'm going to give Twilight some props here, Steph. Ooh, love to hear it. You remember, was it New Moon where Bella like goes into that whole funk for several oh, months? Yes. Oh, yes. And there's the montage, which I love, of course, and the music. There's a possibility. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, Steph. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was, again, I don't have that personal experience with things like depression, but I thought that was a really good way of representing um, how some people's experience of depression includes just like this time slip where it's like you just sink into that funk and you cannot do anything and you stare at your window and, and you know, time and your life is passing you by because you don't feel functional and i thought the movie really spent the time portraying that rather than just kind of be like okay she's depressed you get it great let's move on mm -hmm. uh thanks for sending that in jesse i want to do a quick a quick shout out to tracy who is one of those 
amazing people, Kara, who don't listen to the podcast, but follow along on our Instagram where, you know, we... So Tracy's never going to hear this is what you're saying. <laughs> well, let me finish my story. Um, <laughs> she, she, where, you know, on Instagram, we do write-ups, right? We, we um, supplement our conversations in the, po- in each podcast episode with Instagram content. Um, sometimes it re- involves essays. Sometimes it's just funny memes. But anyway, Tracy was following along there. And then she finally decided, you know what? I agree so much. I'm going to start listening. <laughs> so she wrote, she sent us some voice messages to let us know, okay, I started listening and I love it. But more importantly, Tracy wanted us to know that she lives in the Clada in Ireland. And that is Angel's hometown where he obviously came from, where he got the ring that he gave to Buffy in season two. And I thought that was really interesting and neat information. So thanks, Tracy, not only for sending that in, but for being a new listener. Yeah, Ireland is such, you know, a small place, geographically speaking, but it has such a long and rich history and culture. And it's one of those places where if you're not from there or if you haven't lived there, it's very challenging to kind of have a really good grasp on its geography and its history and its culture, especially because when it comes up in TV, it tends to come up in very like stereotypical or very conventional ways. So I, I always appreciate when listeners from all of these far-flung places outside of Canada and North America write in and say, you know, like, hey, this is our connection to Buffy and stuff because it's really cool. Mm-hmm. And I know that Angel is Tracy's next door neighbor, which is hot. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a little jealous, Steph? Is that what am I sensing a little jealousy here? I'm trying to convince Seb to move us up to Ireland as we speak. You do realize we'd have a five hour time difference. We'll figure it out, Cara. We've got <laughs> we've made it this far. There's nothing that can stop us. All right. All right. On to season three. I feel like we need transition music for each of the seasons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so we got one hot steak for season three, but this is a good one because it really appeals to something I've been talking about this entire podcast because I'm really upset that it hasn't been explained better. Uh, so Monjula wrote it to talk about the broads and <laughs> how realistic it is that the broads continues to exist despite the fact that it keeps getting like repeatedly semi-demolished almost every week it's like it's not profitable like it's selling like these weird muffins you know (laughs) yeah so so his theory which i love is the bronze continues the way it does because like all of sunnydale it was designed by and built for mayor richard wilkins Mm. manjula included a quote here from season three episode 17 where faith says mayor's got it wired b He built this town for demons to feed on, and come graduation day, he's getting paid. Wilkins, either as mayor or as a powerful citizen working behind the scenes, built Sunnydale for the express purpose of honoring his debts to various demons so that he could eventually ascend himself. I love that. I love the confirmation or um, the backing up here from (laughs) Monjula because... We've talked about this so much. In season three, we brought this up all the time. We're like, man, look at all these underground sewers. And like, look at all those way of the transportation that demons have underground, um, the connections that they have to the upper world and everything. Like, obviously, it's because the mayor built it that way. What a smart man. I mean, it didn't work out for him. He was he ascended for like five minutes and then died. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he really planned that shit out, didn't he? He did. Yeah. So I, I, I love all these theories that are like, well, this explains what's going on. Like, 
you know, because that's my favorite thing about talking about this TV show is it's like we can take it at its face value, but then it's it's fun to like be like, okay, but how would this actually work? <laughs> right? And we can't do that for everything in a supernatural show. So for the things like this, it's like, yes, we want to know how the bronze stays open. Uh, let's go to season four. Where's our little theme music? Da, 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 da. Uh, Elizabeth wanted to write in about the freshman and she says... She recently discovered our podcast and she's been binging it. Yay. Uh, She's an academic advisor at a public university. So Elizabeth keeps having so many thoughts on and comments on the general education courses and school involvement of the show. Uh, But what she really wants to bring up is that she chose a career in academia because um, she finds the vibe of college campuses to be weirdly spiritual. All of these individuals all actively pursuing knowledge. It's just a vibe that she loves. So she understands Willow's excitement in this episode. Uh, She was the same way with both of her bachelor's and master's degrees. Willow is maybe pursuing a university studies option. Because remember, Carl, you and I were like, what is Willow's major? What the hell is she majoring in? Um, so perhaps it's a university studies option. Students on the path may follow two to three knowledge tracks, depending on the school's program options. So who knows? She'd also like to say that flyers regarding free jello shots uh, would not fly on campus. So Aston's theory of student involvement suggests that students who feel connection to the campus tend to persist better than those who don't. So it's an older theory, and I think you have to consider multiple factors when predicting persistence. But good on Willow for trying to put herself out there. Hmm. Were you much involved in campus life when you went to university? Uh, no. Not really. I think I think I was because I lived on residence and they, they did have like freshman stuff to go and do. But I think the group of friends that I fell into, like we just weren't like that. <laughs> you just made it, your own jello shots in the dorm? Yeah, we don't need your free ones. We can make our <laughs> own. Um, I think it's also that like in high school, I was very involved and stuff. And then I mm. got to university and I just felt like I didn't have to do that as much. You know? <laughs> You're like, all right. <laughs> it's uh, elastic waistbands and no involvement <laughs> in student government for me. Yeah, it's like I don't have to try so hard. I, I'm more myself now. I don't need to go out of my way to make friends. <laughs> they already let me into university, the fools. I'm already here paying my way through. <laughs> So just let me sit back and binge. What did I binge at that time? I, I was binging Smallville. <laughs> so there. Mm, good times. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't um, too involved in university campus life. Kind of like my, my last couple of years of university, I did more in terms of like with my department that I was in. Um, but I never really, because I wasn't super social in university. And so. I, I think that was something in season four that I really had trouble relating to both before I watched uh, before I was in university and then even during and after it's like oh like going to parties living in dorms this is totally not my experience so it's kind of like I appreciate when people bring that up from their experience of working there or going to <laughs> college and having the free jello shots yeah well and, and willow did have the right idea like don't get me wrong like i was also like open to try new experiences but willow 100 threw herself in in the freshman and i think that's really great too just like um i agree with elizabeth i i saved up all my new experiences for now like so you know, <laughs> for this particular podcast year, 2023 <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up we have sarah who wants to talk about Tara's portrayal in Who Are You, which is the body-switching episode. Sarah says, Watching Tara control her stutter when she is with people she loves and trusts, i.e. Willow and eventually the other Scoobies, is very telling. 
versus watching it come back in situations where she feels overwhelmed or upset, such as when her family returns. In terms of this, the cruelty that Faith, who is in Buffy's body, and the girls in the Wicca group showed to Tara was kind of glossed over in the recaps. Uh, having a child now with a stuttering disorder and being more immersed in the stuttering community has made me more aware of this cruelty. And if we are going to call out ableist slurs, I feel this is one that needs to get called out as well. Having a child with a speech disorder, having two actually, has truly opened my eyes to the way our society treats people who don't speak as neurotypical people do. So these types of comments, though maybe not as egregious as other ableist comments that are made, are just as harmful. So thank you for sharing your perspective there, Sarah. You know, we will not always catch everything, um, or sometimes we catch stuff and then it just, for various reasons, doesn't make it into the final cut of the episode. So we do truly appreciate when listeners write in and say, like, hey, you know, this is a critique that I have on the episode based on my experiences. Yeah, that was really great. And you know what, Kara? Here's a little spoiler section. I'm really excited for Tara in season six. Why? Does she do something good in season six? I mean, I guess we'll find out. But I, I she, feel she, like... Is she okay in season six? I feel like out of all... Like, I think she probably probably have some stuff to say about her in the beginning episodes of season six. No reason. Um, but I feel <laughs> like going forward, I'm just going to... I'm going to be like holding on to Tara and her well <laughs> her her do, personality that's because there's no joyce anymore and tara is so obviously the bomb friend of the scoobies it's true she's the next the next stoner tara <laughs> that we're gonna be inaugurating oh my god what have we done <laughs> oh my god you're right um yeah no i mean i've said throughout the podcast right that like with this particular rewatch i find myself connecting to tara a lot more than any of the other scoobies Part of that is the the anxiety aspect, the social anxiety. I don't necessarily have the same like stuttering and stuff that Tara does, but you know, I, I have similar kind of reactions sometimes when I'm in large groups uh, or groups of strangers, and I can I can relate to the awkwardness that Tara feels and seems to be expressing sometimes. So um, I agree. Like Tara is just such a phenomenal character. I wouldn't go so far as to call her underrated. I think she does get a lot of appreciation from fans, but I think maybe at the time the show was airing, you know, Tara as a character was undervalued, at least by certain, certain producers. Groups. Yeah, and God forbid, Kara, that we ever criticize Tara's outfits <laughs> on this oh show. Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> Except they are they are often very bad. Um, maybe they're bad on purpose, though. Maybe that's the whole point, is like Tara doesn't care as much about style because she's focusing on her inner self. Yeah, it's true. And again, everybody, just because we don't like what Tara chooses to wear to funerals um, doesn't mean that we don't love Tara. We love Tara. But she just made a mistake. <laughs> Yeah, so, don't confuse that with Spike, where we love what Spike wears, but we don't like Spike. Yes, that's the complete opposite <laughs> there. I know it can get confusing. So our next one is from Josephine, who uh, remembered something from the episode Phases, I, I think when Teresa dies, right? And you and I, Kara, were commentating, probably making fun of how quickly the turnaround was. Like, well, 
they found the dead body they, they identified it, well, yeah her. it was like it, late it, night and then yeah. the paper the next morning already had the news story about no, no it was that night the radio was already oh announcing <laughs> anyway anyway so uh josephine is saying that sunnydale has an extraordinary high mortality rate there are probably several mysterious deaths happening on a daily basis so they need to stay on top of it they probably have people working around the clock to take care of these victims as swiftly as possible and if they don't work fast they would get far behind quickly and the bodies would start piling up wow josephine that's really dark and i love it and it actually um tags into what we were talking about earlier with the bronze and with the the mayor and how he's got the system yeah. running really well for himself <laughs> absolutely um, and one more hot stake for season four. This is more of a question. I love it when listeners send in these little prompts to us. Uh, so Joseph wants to know, what do you think would have happened if Angel had been chipped? Ooh, the loaded question. I love this. I think, ooh, I like to think that because Angelus already liked to play the long game he liked the psychological torture aspect of being a vampire of being a predator so i think the chip really wouldn't have prohibited him very much in terms of his long-term evil plans i think obviously he would have yeah. hated the fact that he can't kill people whenever he's hungry but he was much better at retaining his minions than spike as well like spike did not mm. have a good managerial relationship with his minions it's true. So I think Angel would have been okay, to be to be honest. I think he would have been mildly inconvenienced, but in the long run, <laughs> he's much better at planning out his evil plots than Spike ever was. Like, Spike is too chaotic. He's too last minute. I agree, yeah. So if we're talking about what if Angel had been chipped, I don't think that would be very interesting because, you know, an ensouled Angel doesn't want to hurt humans that much but then what if angelus had been chipped i think you're absolutely right steph i think if anything it would make him a more terrifying villain because he'd have to get more creative with how he hurts people and, and that is a difference there whereas like spike is much more brute force in his approach and that can be terrifying in its own way you know spike is a very formidable fighter as we saw um, in a couple of episodes, especially in season four, there was the one episode, right, where he almost defeated Buffy um, when he got the Gem of Amara. Um, so Spike can be very, like, formidable. Um, but the, at the end of the day, as you said, Angelus's sort of uh, abilities as a strategist really lend itself well to him becoming a general, you know? And it's just kind of like how the Master spent pretty much all of season one trapped underground in his uh, layer full of candles um, at his blood pool and you know that didn't stop him right like a good villain doesn't let uh the things holding them back from preventing them from realizing their evil plans <laughs> a good villain doesn't let a chip get them down um yeah i do i also think that angelus would never side with the scoobies like he would never go to them for help he would never ask them to, or like join their gang to to find Ooh, I, importance in himself. I don't think he would do that. I don't do know that. if I agree with that. I mean, getting into like season four of Angel, right? Like, hmm, I don't know. I, th I think under the right circumstances, Angelus. Angelus is all about himself, first and foremost, right? right? So I think if, if we motivated him correctly, he would definitely work with the Scoobies. Interesting. Ooh, an alternate universe that we don't have. <laughs> uh, let's get to our season five hot stakes. 
This one is from Jesse, another Jesse. We have so many Jessies. Jesse says that while re-listening to family, I gasped when I realized that we should actually know immediately as Tara enters the magic shop that she isn't a demon because they can all see her while the spell is still in effect. However, first time watchers may not pick up on this. Also, I had thought that Tara escaped her family when she was 17, which is when she tells Buffy her mother died. I reckon she was really close with her mother as she tells Willow that that's who she learned magic from. So when she died, perhaps Tara ran away, not wanting the life her mom had. Also, justice for poor brainwashed cousin Beth. Justice for Beth. Justice for Amy Adams. Yes. Ah, family. That's such a good episode on so many full of it. Thanks for writing in, Jesse. As I said, I think in our recap, it's one of my faves. So yeah. Yes. Lots of good stuff to pay attention to in that episode. All right, now we have another Jesse. <laughs> just in the spreadsheet, it just worked out. I put the two Jessies back to back. So confusing. Yes, but Jesse, uh, this is the one from the film room, which is the lovely wedding photography and videography couple that I like so much on Instagram. Um, but yeah, that, that's who this Jesse is. So Jesse wants to talk about Spike in Fool for Love. So Jesse's theory is that Spike drove Cecily to become Halfrick, the vengeance demon, after this episode. <laughs> um, so just as a quick kind of reminder for anybody who's uh, listening to this episode and clearly okay with spoilers or wants a recap. Um, so there's another vengeance demon who shows up uh, named Halfrick, uh, who is played by the same actor who played Cecily in Fool for Love. So there is a theory... Uh, that Cecily and Helfrick are the same person, even though that's never actually confirmed on screen. But we learn later on in season seven that Spike actually has history with Helfrick. So even though there's like no explicit on-screen confirmation that Helfrick is Cecily, it's kind of like fanon that they are the same person. But the question then becomes, was Cecily already Helfrick when she knew William? Or, as Jesse saying, did she become Halfrick afterwards? So that's kind of the question. Um, and I don't, I don't remember enough about Halfrick's backstory to know if we know how long she's been a vengeance demon. I feel like if she had just become one after meeting Spike, she would still be pretty, pretty new to the game. And the way she talks to Anya makes it sound like they go back a couple centuries. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's, you know, this is the wonderful thing about Fanon, right? Is you can just kind of uh, come up with all these different theories and spin off your own AUs. And yeah, I would love to, well, I'd say I'd love to see, I don't actually read a ton of fanfic, but I'm sure there's some good fanfic out there about Cecily slash Helfrick and her origin story. Yeah. And it's so funny to think that uh, because you and I were so adamant that uh, William was out of line when it came to pursuing cecily in fool for love that that's what jesse's saying is like that's the reason she's like you know what i need vengeance from this and she became (laughs) a vengeance demon which is so funny so our next hot stake is from october 
who wrote in about I Was Made to Love You, and says, During this season, Buffy's relationship with Riley and Angel are mirrored in the building connection with Ben. The meet-cute banters, the fact he is somehow related to the big bad, as well as having a genuine need to help people and her. So when Buffy turns Ben down for coffee, she's breaking a cycle she's fallen into, and finally puts herself first. I love to see it from her, but I digress. Thank you for making this podcast and sticking with it. Yay! Ah, <laughs> uh, Ben the intern. He like I sometimes forget that like they were setting him up to be something for Buffy, like possibly, but I like what October's pointing out here that maybe it was never about Ben, right? It was always about Buffy choosing herself over handsome intern murdering Ben. And that's lovely. Yeah, I I mean, again, I think there there's a dearth of TV shows that show, you know, straight cis women especially being happy by themselves. You know, so many TV shows that have prominent female characters make romance and finding a dedicated relationship uh, an important part of that character's growth and development. And there's almost this implication that a character can't be complete without it. You know, um, spoilers for the end of Supergirl. I love this. I'm rewatching Supergirl right now and I, I'm just like loving it. Um, but Supergirl ends with pretty much most of the main characters partnered up romantically except for Cara Danvers and I read quite a few reviews after the finale that were like this sucks like you know uh why didn't she find somebody at the end of the show like how dare you leave her alone or you know and it just like that's a valid criticism right if like that's what you wanted out of her story you know I can't say that you're wrong for that but the, the the constant refrain of that from the the cr critics really got to me as an aromantic person who's really like happy living by herself and, and not having a partner it's like you know i really like the fact that the show ended on this note of you know Kara was still coming into herself and figuring out who she is and, and reconciling her dual identities and you know very much like season seven buffy's comment of like i'm cookie dough right like i'm still baking i'm still fully not fully formed and, and I think it's it's very wise of a show to recognize that about a character and not just kind of force them into a romantic relationship because it's the expectation of our stories. Yeah, and especially for a show that's not necessarily about the romantic connections mm -hmm. between the two. Like, it's definitely a, a great part of shows like that, but it's not the be-all, end-all. It's, it's Supergirl and it's Buffy, right? It's about them as individual women, so that makes sense. Yes, Plus, we all know Buffy's going to end up with um, Clem, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or, or Jonathan, one of the two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, next up we have Kelvin writing in about gay kisses. Woohoo! <laughs> so this, this goes back to our comments on The Body, which, you know, you should probably listen to that episode if you haven't, because it's, it's a pretty good episode, right, Steph? Yeah, it's, 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 we did a, we did a good job. We did a good job. Uh, but we were talking about Willow and Tara kissing because this is the first time we got to see Willow and Tara kiss on screen because homophobia. Um, <laughs> so you know, we were kind of talking about how, like, in the the history of gay kisses on screen, was this kind of the first lesbian kiss? Um, and, and we were just, we weren't too sure with our own research. So of course, you know, we love it when our listeners do the research for us. So thank you, Kelvin. Uh, so Kelvin says, Willow and Tara's kiss was the first, quote, lesbian kiss between two women in a committed relationship, unquote. 
Uh, so kind of specific, but meaningful, I think. The others ahead of it were more just random and for shock value. And Kelvin included a link to an Autostraddle article from October 2015 called Lesbian Kisses on American TV, the definitive history of everybody freaking out over nothing. <laughs> um, and it just basically has a big long list of, you know, characters from like 21 Jump Street in 1990, L.A. Law, Roseanne, Ally McBeal, uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, I remember that one. Um, so basically, you know, like all these examples of two women kissing uh, in kind of a romantic or a sexual way, but it was never really kind of part of an ongoing relationship or storyline the way that Willow and Tara's were. Uh, so thank you for including that historical context, Kelvin. Our next hot stake is from Mike, who wanted to point out that in Forever, Giles isn't just listening to any old record when he's sitting in the house after the funeral. He's playing the same song he enjoys to listen to during Band Candy. And uh, Mike has always liked that small detail. Thanks for sending that in, Mike. What I want to say, Kara, is we had two moments like this in season five. I'm sure we'll have more going forward. Do you remember the Sandy debacle? <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, I, I was going to say yeah. this too, right? Like we had a lot of people <laughs> write in with this particular fact, which I think it just goes to show how much it resonates for fans of Buffy, right? Like these little details stick in people's minds. And so they're so excited to share it with us. Yeah. So shout out to everybody other than Mike. Uh, who also wrote it with this uh, hot steak. We don't remember everybody who did. And please keep doing this, even nice. if you think somebody has. I love it when people email us and they're like, I think somebody's probably pointed this out. And <laughs> yeah. you, you never, you might be the first, right? You never know. So please keep doing it. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just, I love it. Especially because I didn't notice that. I totally yeah. did not well, notice that. That was my, why I laughed because with the Sandy debacle, like you and I knew that Sandy would return. We knew that, but we just couldn't say it back in season three when she first appeared. And people wrote in to let us know, right? But in this case, we didn't know. I didn't know that little factoid about the music. So I appreciate when people do this. It's really cool. It helps expand our knowledge of the episode and of the show too. So keep doing it, everybody. We love it. Next up, we got Nicola. Nicola wants to point out that the episode Forever starts to show the disrespect Willow has for magics with a K. <laughs> Willow does not practice Wicca like Tara, and it gets clearer each episode that she doesn't respect the Wiccan rules or laws, and she merely uses magic because she can. Magic for her is like hacking computers. She got good at it, so it's merely a tool she flexes. Encouraging Dawn to explore resurrection was irresponsible and reckless and highlights the disregard Willow has for magical practice. Willow would totally do a resurrection spell only because she wants to see if she's successful. So she can brag. Willow doesn't give a damn about the consequences. Ooh, harsh, Ooh. but fair. I am excited for when we do Willow on trial down the road. Uh, this particular hot steak from Nicola would do really well in that particular episode when we get to it. It's true. Willow has a lot of disrespect for things that Tara would have respect for. And that's definitely something we need to explore as we get into season six. Conflict. Consequences. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah I, I, I'll reserve comment just because I think we've talked about it a little bit on the show and we're going to definitely get into it season six. But thank you for pointing that out, Nicola. 
Next up, we got Angela um, talking about tough love. So in that episode, Buffy is leaving school, you know, and she tells her professor that she's doing this and he gets kind of like, you know, oh, like, okay, I'll miss you. <laughs> so in that scene, she helps the this English professor with uh, his slide projector. And Angela says that this is a callback to the season one episode, Teacher's Pet. Dr. Gregory! Yeah, he was her favorite teacher, right? And then, of course, he died. <laughs> uh, so the show wanted to kind of show that this particular teacher was similar in Buffy's esteem uh, to Dr. Gregory, right? Because she intentionally comes up to this teacher and is like, oh, you know, I really liked your class and you made me like poetry and stuff. So, you know, as a teacher, I definitely can see things from both sides here where it's like, we don't always understand the impact we have on any individual student unless they talk to us about it because, you know, we talk to so many students and we try to help everybody that it can be difficult sometimes for us to realize what kind of effect we're having. As a critic of Buffy, I would like to add that if this is the case, I really wish that they had spent some time developing Buffy's relationship with this really important professor <laughs> before just dropping him in this episode and then she leaves him forever. <laughs> Mind you, the same thing happened with Dr. Gregory, so I'm not surprised. Our next hot stake is from Justin, who also wrote in about tough love. And Justin says, I appreciate you pointing out the dodgy decision by the hospital to just release an incapacitated Tara to Willow's custody. That said, it would definitely be prudent and in keeping with Tara's situation for her to prepare a power of attorney. Aside from the regularly scheduled mortal danger she's exposed to and Joyce's sudden death as a reminder to get affairs in order, if anything were to happen to her, the presumed next of king, kin would be her father. So needless to say, a lot of people alienated from their families due to sexual identity, religion, witchy magics with a K, uh, they would have a strong incentive to have a close friend making important decisions to them and might be particularly conscious of their vulnerability to these situations. Uh, thank you for the free, but definitely, you know, not official legal advice. I understand that. But thank you for sharing in, uh, sharing that perspective, Justin. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm totally on board with this. I have both a financial and personal care powers of attorney set up where um, uh, it's split between two of my closest friends, just in case, you know. Uh, one of them is unavailable or unable to to make those decisions, but I have those set up because you know, as somebody who has no partner, no dependents, um, you know, my parents wouldn't necessarily always be uh, around or able to do that. It, it was very important for me to make sure that I clearly lay out who I want to be responsible for this stuff in the event that I'm incapacitated. So uh, I will uh, boost. Justin's advice here by saying, you know, uh, if you're in this kind of situation uh, and it, it's it's unclear who is meant to make these decisions, uh, take the time if you can. It was really simple for me to set up my um, the law firm that I used. They have what's called a wills clinic. So I went and I actually got my last will and testament done uh, along with these powers of attorney. They just have like templates they fill out. They just ask you questions, but like, you know, what kind of uh, wishes you have. And yeah, it costs money. So obviously, if you can't afford it, you know, priorities. Um, but it's not maybe as expensive as you think. And, you know, then you've got those documents settled. You don't have to change them unless your situation changes. So it, it, it can give you a little bit of that peace of mind. 
Might I suggest, Cara, that you also expand that to include me getting sole custody of Prophecy Girls should your untimely demise so, happen? So it's funny that you say that stuff because <laughs> I was actually thinking about that when I made the will because I was like, how do I make sure, you know, like if I were to get knock on wood uh if i were to get like hit by a car you know how do i make sure that people have access to like my accounts right or you know like our account for um the the monies that people you know pay us to support us in prophecy girls right and so like those kinds of things can be really complicated and uh you know i'm not going to pretend like i have it all figured out here by myself but you know, you're absolutely right. Like if you have any kind of like business relationship or any kind of uh, creative endeavor that you do with somebody else, you know, it, it's hard for us to think about these things because nobody wants to think about not being around anymore. Um, but it is so valuable to the people that you leave behind um, to have those plans in place. So wonderful advice from both Justin and Kara. All right. So, um, we're going to go from talking about death to talking about insanity. As we do. Jenna writes it. We got a lot of J names today. Justin, mm. Jesse, Jenna. Jesse, Jesse, Jesse. <laughs> Jenna writes it. Uh, they want to talk about Spike in Spiral along with Tara. Uh, Jenna says, Spike has experience with Drusilla not being all there. So he understands that Tara doesn't understand what she did. Angel drove Drew insane, but Spike loved her for centuries, as much as a soulless vampire can, anyway. I think her wavering sanity probably gave him more patience with that situation than any of the Scoobies yet have. I really love this reading of Spike's character. I think this is a really nice, sympathetic, and believable view of why Spike has so much patience for Tara, why he helped her and family. And, and all that stuff. Not that she was insane in family, but like maybe she's just got a soft spot for her because she's a little bit, you know, she's just not as confident or um, she's not like the other girls around her. Yeah. Tara's not like other girls. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. What can I say? I have a soft spot for Tara. And, and let's be honest, like as much as we criticize Spike, there are moments and I'll give James Barsters the credit for this because he's just such a good actor. Like there are moments of pathos where like Spike does something and it's genuinely kind. Like, right. Even if it's coming from this soulless being who who would also kill you if he, he thought that would what was what he wanted to do. You know, Spike is capable of that genuine kindness. And that is something I do love about this series is how even like the worst or most evil characters can surprise you sometimes. Uh, our next hot stake is from Lumberjay underscore reviews. What? I just like how you're like, yep, okay, car. I'm not going to compliment Spike. <laughs> like, Moving on. I said it was, it was nice. It was a nice and uh, <laughs> generous reading of Spike. Yes. So keeping on this track of talking about Spike and Tara, uh, Lumberjay underscore reviews on Instagram wrote in to say that Spike calls Tara Miss Sunshine in Spiral. And in England, we used to have something called the Sunshine Bus. It was known to take people with mental and physical disabilities to school. So do we think that Spike is just being ableist? So this is, I like that these are back to back. I like that we're, we just talked about um, a generous, you know, kind reading of Spike in that moment. But then Lumberjay underscore reviews points out that, hey, that word sunshine could be leaning into something a lot more ableist. 
again, Spike is such an interesting character that you could read him in multiple ways. And I think that's really great. I didn't know that, that that's what they call the sunshine bus. I know, I know that in Canada, they call it like the short bus or something. Mm, So yeah, it's really, really offensive. All right. We have one more hot steak. This is from Mike talking about one of my favorite running jokes throughout the end of season five, which is the LARPers, uh, the Knights of Byzantium, <laughs> and especially in Spiral, the fact that Buffy apparently kills them and it's just not talked about. Yes. <laughs> so Mike says, we had General Forehead's comment about having lost 10 men, or was it horses? And it sounded like he was saying Buffy and Fred's killed them. But given that he'd already referred to Buffy as being an agent of the beast, what if he was referring to casualties from that battle against the minions? If he thinks of Buffy being on Glory's side, he could be laying the blame for previous losses as counting against Buffy, even if she wasn't directly involved. That would certainly explain why none of the Scoobies make any mention of them having killed humans. Well, Mike, you just might be the mayor of Sunnydale with all these convenient (laughs) ways of cleaning up everyone's messes. (laughs) Uh, I mean, yeah, I I don't know if I fully buy it. I feel I I don't know. But yeah, it's it that stuck out to me at the end of season five is like, wait a minute. Wait a second. A season from now, we're going to be losing our minds that willow kills warren a man who actually shot her girlfriend but no one says anything about buffy murdering 10 men and horsies at the same time (laughs) interesting interesting yeah i mean again opening up that lore opening up that headcanon the fanon out there that's what's so fun about the show there's there's even the loopholes even the plot holes can possibly be explained away. We love it. Thank you, everybody who writes in. Please keep writing in with your vintage hot steaks and we will store them up for a future Sunny Mail episode. If you liked this, let us know and we'll do more. Yeah, and if we miss yours, just just let us know and we'll add it into the next one. Sorry. <laughs> and yeah, uh, start writing in with your hot steaks for season six because uh, we might be recording at a little bit of an accelerated pace over the summer. Just again, flexibility around um, when we record. Uh, so if you kind of want to make a hot steak about a particular episode that's coming up in season six, do not wait until the last minute. Send it when you can. We will store it for that episode. And thank you, everybody, for staying with us on this journey. We are so excited to cover seasons six and seven and whatever might lay beyond. <laughs> thank you to all of our Buy Me a Coffee supporters, including our chosen ones. Emma, Kyle, Destiny, Erica, Allison, Jace, Haley, Tasha, and Ricky. Lizzie, Holly, Kayla, Jordan, Juliet, Nicola, Luis, Joshua, Reese and Suzanne. Thanks, everybody. We will be back with more bonus episodes, but our plan is to see you all with recaps of season six, this happy-go-lucky season in July. Bye! Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can't afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join us in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. 
and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. Also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca, where you can find the link to our Discord. Can't wait to hear from you. Praise Malik. See you next week.